morning, everybody. <laughs> I was back there high-fiving the kids. Weren't they great? So as I think about those kids, I think about how much we care about them at Wooddale, and part of that care is security. And we have an elite team of volunteers called our SRT, Safety Response Team. They go through a lot of training. They're here to help in medical emergencies, but also just keep an eye on things and, and uh, uh, just watch out that everything's going well. And we could use more members. And so if you're interested in that team, there's a meeting tomorrow night at 6.30 in room 206. Or if you can't make it, but you're very interested, if you call the church or let us know on one of those cards, uh, men and women are welcome to do that. You do go through some training for it. And it, I tell you, it's a valuable team, and we really appreciate them. So tomorrow night, 6.30, if you can make it, room 206. Kids are important to us. We want them to be safe. Well, we're in our series called Missing. And we're talking about how all of us are missing from God's family, and God came looking for us through his son Jesus to bring us into relationship with himself. And we who have come back into the family have the joy and the opportunity to go out as Jesus did and invite others to join that family and to tell them how great it is. And Jesus made it clear to us last weekend in the Gospel of Luke that when anybody comes home, so to speak, there's great joy in heaven. He said in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And all of us, by the way, are sinners. If we know Jesus, we are sinners saved by grace. Verse 10, he went on and he said, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And so I said last weekend, you know, the Bible says, as it is in heaven, so it should be on earth, right? So if there's joy in heaven over people coming to faith, shouldn't we have the same joy on earth and particularly in God's church? So we're going to bring out some balloons uh, this morning because I have some wonderful news to share with you. And there are 28 balloons and they represent 28 people who have given their heart to Jesus since the beginning of September. So I think we should celebrate that. All right. Now... 22, 22 of those came to faith in Christ very recently when we had our 5th and 6th grade lock-in. Can you imagine being locked in with 157 5th and 6th graders? I mean, Pastor Tarman and his team deserve a badge for that, don't they? And the gospel was presented, and 22 students gave their heart to Christ. And then we added six more uh, individuals from our campuses uh, beyond students who have also accepted Christ in their life. And we know their names are following up with them and we welcome them into God's family. So I just wanted to be aware of that. And I think we should pray right now for them. Lord, thank you for these balloons that represent the hearts and lives of those who've come home. Lord, some have come home very early and we just thank you for that. Others later in their life. We ask you to bless them and help them to grow in their faith. And I pray that someday soon this whole building will be filled with balloons because we don't have enough space. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to take the balloons off before they become too much of a distraction for you. Good thing I don't wear headbands. But uh, anyway, uh, moving on, we had a little card in the worship folder uh, last weekend for you called Adopt7. And we put that in there because it's our chief strategy for helping you reach out to those who don't know Jesus yet. 
And uh, if you brought yours back, kudos to you, all right, because I encourage you to do that. If you weren't here and you're missing one at door one and door two at the Welcome Center, you can pick these up. It's a very simple strategy. And on the back, we just simply ask you to list the name of seven or more people in your life that may not know Jesus. Now, you may not even know their name. Maybe the barista who waits on you, or the waiter, or the waitress. It might be somebody at school that sits next to you. Might be a teacher, might be a coach, might be a neighbor. We just want you to write their names down. If you don't know their names, write what they do. Then we have a very clear strategy. It goes like this. We want you to spend time praying for them every day. We want you to find ways to serve them whenever you can, whether it's with a smile or giving them a hand with something. And then wait for the opportunity to open up to share Jesus with them by just sharing how he's changed your life. You don't force it. You don't do it until God tells you or they invite you to do that. And uh, if you want to hear more, you can tune in to last weekend's message online. We explain that just a little bit more for you. But having said that, what I want you to know is you don't have to have a seminary degree in order to share Jesus with others. You don't have to be a pastor to share Jesus with others. You don't have to be born with a salesperson personality to share Jesus with others. You don't have to be an extrovert to share Jesus with others. He just loves to use ordinary people and their ordinariness to communicate the love of the Father to others. You know, Jesus was very ordinary if you look at his life carefully. He was ordinary in his birth. He was very ordinary in his family. He was very ordinary, economically speaking, he was poor. He was born in a very ordinary village. You keep reading and you discover that Jesus was very ordinary in his appearance. But Isaiah tells us there was nothing attractive about him that, that you know, we would be drawn to him because he looked like a, an athlete or he looked like a celebrity. He was just very, very ordinary. Now, I don't believe God does anything by accident. And I believe that God caused that so that you and I would understand that God can use you and God can use me too. He just loves using ordinary people. But he loves using them in extraordinary ways. And that's what he does with Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus carefully, you see that in his humanity it was very simple, but in what he did in his ministry it was very extraordinary, it was very powerful. And the reason why is because in his humanity, as an example for us, he depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit working through Jesus that does all these powerful things. And, you know, that's why Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus left his place in glory. He gave up all that in glory to become like us, to model for us, listen, what we can be in him, in the same Spirit. It is the Spirit who does extraordinary things in us, with us, and through us. And Jesus exemplified that. And read the Gospels. Read just the first five chapters of Luke sometime. The Holy Spirit's instrumental in the uh, conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit comes on him at his baptism and anoints him. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness and gives him the strength to resist temptation. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And in passages we don't oftentimes think about, the Holy Spirit was with Jesus even as he went to the cross. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds 
so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was able to go and submit himself to the cross. He needed the strength of the Spirit because remember in the garden he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. He depended on the Holy Spirit. And even in his resurrection, he depended on the Spirit. This is a pretty key verse that you ought to really pay attention to. It's found in the book of Romans. You might want to turn there. Chapter 8 and verse 11. It's worth memorizing. It's worth being really familiar with because it says something pretty fantastic about you and me. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, so the Spirit's now involved in the resurrection of Christ, lives in you. Now stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, it's like, it's just worth stopping and spending like 10 minutes thinking about it. We won't, but it is. You can think about it later on, but think about this with me for just a minute. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead, where does he live? He lives in you and he lives in me. That is pretty profound stuff, isn't it? And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Over and over in Romans, especially Romans chapter 8, Paul keeps talking about this truth that God's spirit lives in us. And so every day, right, when we get up, that should be our first thought. I'm up, and the spirit of the supernatural God lives in me. So we go into every meeting, and every challenge, and every situation, reminding ourselves, the spirit of God lives in me. And then learning to submit and to depend on that presence. So I jotted a little prayer out this week that I thought we could pray together. You can create your own prayer, but this was to attempt to capture the ordinariness of our life, but also the extraordinariness of God's spirit. Read it loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, you have placed missing people all around my life. I want you to use me in all my ordinariness to communicate and demonstrate your love for them. I surrender to the presence of your Holy Spirit working in and through my entire life to show them you love them. Amen. Come up with your own prayer, but try to make that your prayer every day. Here I am in my ordinariness, Lord. I want to depend on you to use me extraordinarily, the power of your spirit. Now, in the Bible, Jesus really only has two simple strategies when it comes to connecting with people who don't know him. And the strategies that you and I can follow. The first one is simply this. He spoke the gospel, the good news. Well, what is the good news? Well, the good news is that God loves us so much that he sent his son here to tell us Then his son died for us, took our place, was buried, rose again, ascended to the Father, and offers us, through his grace, by faith, this wonderful gift called salvation. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus went went so far as to say that we are to go and preach this gospel. So I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. You preach every day. You preach every day. Every time you open your mouth, you're preaching something. I don't know what you're preaching, but you're preaching something. How about preaching some good news? The good news of God's love. You can communicate that. Mark 16, 15 talks about that. But what is the gospel? I already told you what it is. Do we really understand it? I'm worried that sometimes as believers we talk about it, we sing about it, but do we really understand the simple message of the gospel? And if you're unclear on it, we have a class coming up that I'd like you to take. 
It's one hour long. It's on October 27th. He'll help you understand, okay, this is the gospel. And just give you some hints for when you have the opportunity to share it, to know how to simply, simply talk about it. If you want to register, go to our website. Aren't you impressed with my technology? Go down the page, all right? Click on Pathway, okay? That will take you then to another page. Scroll down, click on October 27th, Share, all right? I'm assuming you're going to want the Eden Prairie campus. Click on that campus and you can register. If you hate the internet, just let us know you want to come on a card, all right? So we can plan. And I'm hoping they... I'm hoping they don't have a space big enough. Because, I, you know, we ought to be equipped with the gospel. I have a, a, a rare condition uh, that uh, has put me in the hospital a couple times. It's called, I never get it right, but something like food-induced exercise-dependent anaphylaxis. Or else it's the other way around. Exercise-induced food-dependent anaphylaxis. But here's the story. I can't exercise and eat nuts within like four or five hours of each other, or I literally end up in the emergency room and I get pumped full of drugs. I found out the hard way about it. I've told you about it before. So I have to carry an EpiPen with me all the time. I think about that EpiPen as, as a lifesaver if I, you know, if I ever get in a bad situation. Well, you and I get to carry the gospel with us all the time. It's a lifesaver, folks. It's a lifesaver for people. It's their life. It's their salvation. It's their hope. Know how to use it. Know how to use it to help others. The second thing that Jesus did is he not only spoke the gospel, he also served the gospel up. He served it up. He served the gospel. In other words, what he did is he not, he not only talked about it, but he demonstrated it in how he treated and ministered to others. There's a beautiful picture of this that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there with me. You've probably heard this passage before, but if you haven't, I want to encourage you to read it. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick. You cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. In Matthew 25, 37, it says, Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters... You were doing it to me. We have a great ministry at Whitdale Church called We Are For. You've heard about it. It's we are for. We are for the vulnerable. We are for the poor. We are for the, the girls caught in sex trafficking and to get them out. We're for the elderly. We're for the needy. We have these projects that we do that you are oftentimes a part of. You saw the school. We are for the students. We provided those supplies. We collect food for the food pantry. We uh, do other kinds of ministries like tutoring, and, and, and quite a few we are for. But we got one coming up in November. We are for, and we're going to be providing warm boots and warm gloves for people who are in need, who don't have those things. You heard about the, uh, well, you'll hear more about something that our, our fifth and sixth graders did at the end of the service. But 
We, we always want to be for people. And I love it when we do these group projects together. I love it. But listen carefully. Don't limit it to that. Think about the Adopt 7. Think about those people on your list. Think about the people around you at work or at school or at home or in the neighborhood. What can you do to serve them? What are their needs? Are you aware of their needs and how you might be able to help with those needs? I want to share um, a couple of stories with you of how, how God has been at work in, in these ways in people's lives. And, and how just serving by speaking the gospel and, and, and serving by, by, by doing things for others can make such a huge impact. The story I want to uh, share with you first uh, comes from two individuals that I call kind of the dynamic duo, spiritual dynamic duo. They are two wonderful ladies at Wooddale Church who have a love for God and love for others. And in particular, they have a, a deep love for people uh, of a particular religion that does not embrace Jesus as Savior and uh, for, for immigrants. And so they will oftentimes share how God is at work in their lives and how he's changing lives as a result of them just being obedient to him. And they have a circle of friends that they share these stories with who pray for them. And one of them happens to be another Wooddaler who's 83 years old. Her name is Cassie. And Cassie has traveled a lot around the world, and Cassie has been on mission trips. But Cassie, in this stage of her life with declining health, has been, you know, was expressing, I just feel like God can't use me anymore. I so, I want to be like you two ladies. I want to minister to those folks. I want to share Christ with them. And I love the response to Cassie. The response was, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter whether you're healthy or not. Just ask God to use you, Cassie. He will. God will bring these people into your life. And so that's how Cassie began to pray. I mean, you know, God works in strange, mysterious ways. God can even take our setbacks and our, and our hurts and turn them for a good thing. And so Cassie fell. And her fall was really severe. She needed 24-hour care as a result of her fall. And she'd been praying, Lord, I want to be used like these other two women. Please use me. And God answered her prayer because guess who showed up to be her primary caretaker? It was a young woman from that particular background who came to serve Cassie and care for her physically. And Cassie was excited about that, even in her pain, because she thought to herself, okay, so she's going to serve me physically, I'm going to serve her spiritually. And so they became friends, and, and Kathy began ministering to this young woman's soul because she was pouring out to Cassie about her trying to be in college, trying to do a full-time job, trying to deal with her family, trying to deal with culture. And so they just started ministering back and forth to each other. And Cassie said, you know, we got so close that at the end of the day, before she would leave, she would always kiss me on the forehead. A tight bond was being formed. And then in early September, Cassie went home to be with Jesus. She graduated. And that left this young lady who had been caring for her without a friend caring for her. So at the funeral, one of the women who had said to Cassie, just ask God to show you, showed up to honor Cassie at the funeral. And there she saw that young lady. And she decided to go sit next to that young lady and befriend her. And in, and in essence, she picked up the baton from Cassie because those two women have now become good friends. And now she's ministering to her soul. Isn't that an awesome story? Isn't that miraculous? 
You know, people say, why don't we see more miracles? I think I know why we don't see miracles in the United States like we do overseas in the church in the U.S. It's because we're so divorced from caring about lost people, people who are missing. We want the miracles for us, right? And I understand that. We should pray and ask God. He tells us to. But where God's working around the world, all those miracles, almost all of them, are aligned with also reaching people who don't believe and know Jesus. Jesus himself said in the Gospels, I do these miraculous things to point to who I came from, for, to my Father. They're sign gifts to you, miracles to tell you about who he is, what his power is. So if you want to see more miracles in your life, ask God to make a way. He will. He'll make a way. And he'll work and he'll move in powerful ways. Story from another Wooddaler, and she gave me permission to share this with you. She said, I've been struggling, she said, to connect with my immigrant neighbor who lives next to me, who practices another religion, doesn't believe in Jesus as Savior. And she says, I've been praying that God would soften my heart toward her and that people group. She said, I'm a single woman, and I, I prefer not to get too, you know, involved with my neighbors, just, you know, careful, protecting myself. I get that. But she said, this neighbor's a real challenge to me. Because every time I see her in the hallway, she always has this wonderful smile and happy look to her face. And I think to myself, she's behaving more like a Christian than I am. Maybe I need to work on that in my own life. She said, well, hearing this series, God has been really speaking to me that I need to care more about my neighbor and neighbors. So I've been asking God that if he wants me to really connect this neighbor, that he would make it happen. And that when he makes it happen, I'd be willing to step into it. And I love what she said. She said, that was Sunday. And on Monday, is it, God really answers some prayers quickly, doesn't he? Others, it's like, God, do you, are you there? And other ones, isn't it interesting that the ones he answers the quickest are the ones that align with his heart? His heart for people who don't know Jesus? I love her honesty here. She's so candid. She said, on Sunday, I prayed that on Monday when I went to walk out of my apartment to go for a walk, there she was coming down the other way. I love this honesty. I almost walked the opposite direction but resisted because <laughs> she knew God must be up to something, right? She said there's another lady, another lady that was accompanying her. And she said we all kind of greeted each other and for some reason... We all began talking. Hmm, I wonder what the reason was. She said, what occurred next is nothing short of God at work. She said, I found out that the other lady was actually my neighbor's sister who rarely comes out of the apartment because she has been so sick. The two women shared their story of how they fled their country and came to this country. And she said, it broke my heart as I heard about the difficulties and challenges and their fears and worries for the family that's been left behind and particularly for their mother. Now, this took courage. She said, I asked if I could pray for the two of them, especially the sick sister. And they welcomed the prayer. See, sometimes we just, we don't think people are going to let us pray for them, right? They welcomed the prayer. And she said, in fact, after we prayed, they hugged me. Wow. And she wrote, I found the entire experience a powerful reminder of how God works when we ask and are open. I was also reminded to be open-minded to people that are uncomfortable to me. I know the energy of prayer. And now I'll pray with my hands on the wall that connects our apartments. I love that. I love that visual. 
I love that visual. More important, I feel God working on the areas of my heart and mind that need rewiring. My neighbor has proved to me that he hears my prayers and wants everyone to know his love. It's not my job to judge, but be ready to be used by him. I pray for what is next with my neighbor and her sister. All glory to God. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? That's what, that's what you and I have been invited into. So you want some exhilaration with God, then just let God use you. Just be available to him. Pastor Jim Henderson, who wrote a book called Evangelism Without Additives, I like the title, says there are some things and barriers that we've got to get past in our life for God to be able to use us. And I, I grabbed a couple of them. I thought they were very good. He said, number one, he said, we need to recover the joy of our salvation. A lot of us as believers walk around and it looks like we're sucking on something really sour. <laughs> and I'm one of them. I, I am a driven person, if you haven't figured that out. I am seriously minded. And I have a tendency sometimes just to get vroom, focused. Just so focused. And that, that, that's okay. But I got to remind my face once in a while that I have the joy of the Lord. Are you guys laughing at me? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my weakness. No, the joy of the Lord is my what? Let your face know that. Right? Let's all say it together. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, there's a lot of joylessness in this world. Have you been watching news? Have you been paying attention to politics? It's not just here. It's all around the world. It's a bad news world. There's a lot. There's so lack of joy. So much lack of joy. My goodness, the, the church should be an oasis of joy. People ought to show up and just go, you guys are weird. What do you smoke? What do you drink? And we just point to the Holy Spirit. And we point to the Holy Spirit. It's a sad phenomenon in California. I, I'm, I didn't preach this at the other services, but it just came to my mind. There's a sad phenomenon happening in California. There are actually churches right now where the, they call themselves churches where the centerpiece is smoking grass. And that kind of is who they are. And they come together and, you know, that's their sense of happiness and, and joy. It's a drug. We don't need a drug. We have, we have Jesus. Amen? Man, the church is so messed up in our country today. We need to be the true church of Christ. Oh, number two, I'm way messed up now. All right, become a momentologist. Become a momentologist. Say, what is a momentologist? A momentologist is somebody who sees God at work and celebrates that. My wife is a momentologist with our grandchildren. She used to be a cheerleader in high school, a cheerleader in college. And she made up her mind before our grandkids showed up. She made up her mind that whenever she saw them, she was going to cheer and celebrate for them. And so when we go visit them at the airport, as soon as they see lock eyes, Marsha goes into a whole other gear. It's like, oh, look at you. I'm so glad to see you. Oh, you've grown so much. I love your hair. I appreciated that poem you wrote. Look at the artwork you did. This is amazing. And her eyes just light up. Their eyes just light up. They get so happy, they get excited because all of us want to be recognized. All of us want to be valued. All of us want to feel like, man, do I matter? I just matter so much. Momentologists celebrating, celebrating what God is doing 
in our lives and celebrating what he's doing in other people's lives. All of us are created in the Imago Dei, right? So how can I find something in the image of God in you? We're all broken. The image is fractured because of sin. But in all of us, there's just something there. And calling that out and celebrating that as well. Number three, learn the art of listening to people. I have to work. I got to work on all this, but I really got to work on this one. You know, in, in the average conversation, researchers tell us, when someone speaks to you, you know how long you give them before you respond back? You give them a whopping half a second. How many of you are married? All right. How many of you wives would agree with that? You get a half a second. All right. That's something we got to work on. If, if I only give you a half a second after you say something before I speak back to you, it's telling you I didn't really listen to you at all. So let's practice the three-second rule. Next time somebody says something to you, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, don't count it out, in your mind, and then respond. You'll shock them. Particularly you men, if you practice that with your wife, you will shock them. It means you're actually listening to them. People want to be listened to. Jesus was a good listener. He was also really good at asking questions. He knew how to ask a question. He didn't ask questions because he was bored. He asked questions because he was trying to get from people where their life was, what they were dealing with, what they were challenged by, so he knew how to minister to them. Become a good questioner and listen. That is a gift to give people. Number four, work at being real. Just be real. We live in such a fake world in so many ways. We're always putting a front on, aren't we? Because we're always trying to make the sale. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be liked. So wear the right clothes, wear the right jewelry, wear the right makeup, get the right surgery, drive the right car, live in the right house, get the right job. And if you don't, fake it. And then we do it in the church. Let's just be honest. We do it in the church. I mean, Jesus' biggest criticism was the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they're a bunch of fakers. They all acted like they were holy and religious when they were some of the most unholy people on earth. Jesus preferred hanging out with the people who were real. And God's church should be the same way. If the way we present ourselves is that we have our act entirely together, that we don't sin, that we're very holy, we're very conservative, we're very orthodox, we've got it all together, who wants to come and join us? I mean, you look at that and you go, I can't be like that. And the world thinks you got to become like that first. Then you get to join the club. No. You know what the church really is? Like this. We are really, if you think about it, we're one big 12-step group. That's the church. Hello, I'm Dale and I'm a sinner. Hi, Dale. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let's try it again. Hi, Dale, I'm a sinner. You're sinners too. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace. We're growing. Hopefully, we're being changed. See, that's what the world is looking for. The world's looking for people who are being changed. And they're like, I see you changing. I see, I, I see that you're honest about your struggles, your challenges, but I see you changing. I want to be part of that too. All right, number five. We need to learn to pray behind people's backs. It's wrong to talk behind their backs, but it's okay to pray behind somebody's back. One of the most powerful examples of that is at the end of the book of, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of chapter 7 in the book of Acts. And you should read it sometime. 
the end of chapter 7, Stephen is being stoned. And he prays and he says in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But here's, what, here's the most important part of his prayer is verse 60. It says he fell to his knees, Acts 7, verse 60. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And then he died. Reminds me of what Jesus prayed at the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. In other words, don't take what they're doing to me and hold it against them and condemn them. Now look at chapter 8, verse 1. Saul, who becomes Paul, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He might as well have killed Stephen himself. He was a murderer. Saul standing there, kind of like with his arms crossed, while the, the clothes, the people who are stoning Stephen are at his feet, and he's nodding in agreement. This is good. And yet in Acts chapter 9, he gets radically converted when Jesus ambushes him on the way to Damascus where he was going to arrest and torture Christians. So what's your connection, Pastor? My connection is this. I wonder if Saul's conversion is related to Stephen's prayer. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. See, Stephen was praying behind Saul's back. And it changed Saul. And it changed Saul. Who are you praying for? Man, the power of prayer, huh? If we could get serious about prayer, we change our neighborhoods, we change our workplace, we can change so much. Let's pray. Father God, what a joy it is to be on your team. It's not easy, Lord, because our sinfulness gets in the way, but I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. So need it, so need it. Lord, we are sinners being saved by grace. We've been brought into your family by grace. As we come to this table, Lord, as your family, we thank you that we can celebrate and remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.